This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. Adrenaline filled my body as I prepared my handgun, horrified at the very real possibility that I might have to shoot these men. But who was messing with us and why? Where was my dad? Why are these strange people harassing us? I look over and there's a human form underneath her blanket. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you two true horrifying tales, two listener voicemails, and a disturbing real 911 call that will horrify and terrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user HNA Rider, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And we have some late night visitors. This story happened to me back when I still lived at my parents' house. I was commuting to college at the time and had three siblings that also lived at home, my brother and two sisters. For some context, we lived on five acres in rural Ohio, surrounded on both sides by woods and farm fields. Now, Additionally, during the week, my dad normally left for work at 2 a.m., so I'd always felt like it was my job to be the man of the house because he was gone during the times when we would imagine something sketchy happening. However, on this night, because it was the weekend, my dad was home. I woke up to the sound of my brother's voice trying to get my attention. We had separate rooms upstairs, and coming out of our rooms, you could look down over the banister and see our front door. When I woke up, it took a few moments to get out of the haze and realize what was going on. I looked at the clock and it was around 2.30 a.m. And my brother told me that there were two men at her front door. Now, this really woke me up. We quietly walked out of my room and peeked over to look down at the front door. When we looked, there was no one at the door. But I had noticed my parents off to the side, out of view of the glass of the front door. I whispered down to my dad. He told me there were two guys who had been talking to each other and knocking on the door. Hearing my dad say this freaked me out even more. I went back to my room and grabbed my pistol, quickly shuffling down the stairs after looking to make sure they weren't at the door. If they had been, they would have easily seen me coming down the stairs as it is in direct view of the door. Now, my brother's right behind me as we head over to where my parents are, whispering to try and find out what is going on. My parents had awoken to the sound of our dog barking and had come out to find these two men knocking loudly at the door. At this point, the men returned and began knocking again, despite the fact that no one had come to the door and our dog was still actively barking. I mean, the fact that they were there at this time, in a location where houses are spread out hundreds of yards and still knocking with a dog barking, made the situation even more terrifying. After a couple minutes, the men walked away, 
and we all shuffled across the kitchen into the family room to peek out the windows into our driveway, which is lit up by our outside light. There was a black Cadillac sitting there. No one was inside from what we could see. Immediately, the question was, where did these guys go? I mean, they weren't in the car, and they were no longer at the front door. Unfortunately, we figured out the answer when the handles on our back French doors started jiggling. They were actively trying to enter the back of our house, which enters into the kitchen. At this point, I just remember my mom frantically saying David to my dad as pure terror overwhelmed her. Then, two things happened. The adrenaline filled my body as I prepared my handgun, horrified at the very real possibility that I might have to shoot these men. Secondly, my dad finally grabbed the phone, called the police, and calmly told them what was happening. Thankfully, after a minute of jiggling, they stopped at the back door and disappeared again, only to return their knocking at the front. However, at this point, several minutes had gone by, and suddenly we saw the local police fly up in multiple cruisers with their lights on. As they whipped into our driveway and front yard, the two men bolted away, attempting to run the long way around the house across the driveway. One of them disappeared out of our view. The other one was intercepted by an officer yelling for him to get on the ground. He did it, and he was immediately tased and fell on the ground. Some of the officers went around the house after the other guy, and one of them came to talk to my dad and I as we came out the front. They ended up finding the other man hiding in my sister's little playhouse in the backyard. It appears both of them were drunk and or high, and the one who had hit had cocaine on him. While they were both arrested that night, we never did find out what they were charged with or what happened to them. Needless to say, the whole experience wasn't fun. So, random man at our door in the middle of the night, let's not meet again. Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. Up next, we have a listener voicemail from Lou, and she tells us about her experience in the cemetery. Hi, my name's Lou. I love your podcast. Um, Thank you, Chad, and all the voice actors for everything that you do. I've been listening for a couple of years now. It's my favorite thing to do on a Thursday night after work, to draw a bath, light some candles, turn off the light, and listen to um, the new podcast of the week. So thank you so much for all you do. I do have a story to share with you guys. Um, This happened Halloween weekend, and I was with a couple of friends We were pretty close. We were all in band and orchestra together, and um, after school or on the weekends, we would smoke weed and skateboard around. Um, Just good friends, good teenager fun. And my friend Ben, his family actually owned the cemetery across the street from his house. This Halloween weekend, myself, Ben, and our friends Lance and Josh decided that we were going to bring a Ouija board into the middle of Ben's cemetery. And we're fully aware that that's not what you're supposed to do. I'm pretty sure it says on the instructions of a Ouija board to never use it in a cemetery. But we thought we were cool and badass, so we were like, we're gonna go do it. So we take off with our skateboards, and we have backpacks full of candles and the Ouija board. 
and we roll up to the cemetery. Ben's un- ben unlocks it for us. Um, and this night, it was, it was a really nice night. Um, it was really dark, and um, the air was completely still, which was pretty strange for a night in October um, in, on the Jersey Shore. But it was, it was a nice night regardless. Um, so we're walking into the cemetery, and the way that it's laid out is there's one path from the entrance of the cemetery that leads straight forward into kind of like a circle that part um, that has like tile and that has a couple of benches around. And then from that middle part, there's a couple of paths that lead straight out into the rest of the land of the cemetery so that you can walk and visit um, loved ones and whatnot. So we decide to set up in the middle of the cemetery in this circle. Um, we take out the candles, we light the candles, we open up the board. And our friend Lance wanted no part. He was just there for moral support. So he was sitting kind of on the outside of our little Ouija circle. So myself, Ben, and Josh, we, you know, we opened up opened up the board, as you do. Um, we were circling the piece around the middle. And then we started asking questions and nothing really happened. Um, we didn't get any answers. It didn't really move. Josh tried to scare us at one point and moved it himself. Um, but then we, you know, we laughed it off and like we're pushing each other or whatever. And then before we decided to close it out, we were like, okay, like nothing's really going on. Let's just close it out and go light a fire or something and sit around a campfire. So as we're about to close out, the piece starts moving. And at first we were like, Josh, it's not funny anymore. It's funny the first time. This isn't funny. And he didn't say a word. He was like, I'm not moving it. I wasn't moving it. And Ben said that he wasn't moving it. And it was moving towards the Z. And then it was moving towards the O. And any avid spooky people will know what that is. At the time, I didn't know. Ben didn't know either. But Josh knew what Zozo was. And he turned white as a ghost. And he was like, we need to close this out right now, immediately. So we go to close it out. We say goodbye. We start circling it around the board. And then it all happens so fast. The candles, and remember I said that it was a really still night. There was zero wind in the air. The candles all went out. The board piece flew up and hit Josh in the chest. And then Lance, our friend that was not part of the circle, his vape started heating up in his pocket and he pulls it out of his pocket and we can all see that the coil of his vape is hot red. I mean, it is like, we can hear it steaming. Um, and he's throwing it between his hands like a hot potato because it's so hot. So we all look at each other and we decide to book it out of there. We throw all of our shit into our bags and we grab our skateboards and we run as fast as possible. I don't think I've ever run that fast in my entire life. <laughs> um, we make it out and... Uh, Ben closes and locks the gate, and we run back to his place um, and discuss the happenings. It was really spooky, for sure, um, but lesson learned, you know? Don't ever do a Ouija board in the cemetery. Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app. 
You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today, and uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Dallas Mystery Show, featuring voice work by Stephen Brink. And we have someone disappear. This story from my past happened about 32 years ago in East Texas. My mom and dad divorced when I was 16 years old, and my brothers and I lived with my mom. My dad visited us once in a while, but not really on a consistent basis. He was a gambler, one of the reasons my parents split up, and tended to not come around when he was broke. But on the rare occasion that he won big, he would visit and spend money on us, and then disappear again. My dad said he had a job as a shuttle driver for a local hotel. He told my brothers and me that the shuttle driving was just a cover, that he actually worked for organized crime, which he claimed owned the hotel. He said his real job was to drive out to various places in the area to pick up fugitives running from warrants or otherwise wanted by law enforcement bring them to the hotel, and hide. And then later they would move on by other means. My dad said he didn't really know how they did that. 
My dad was always a blowhard and always exaggerating or out and out lying. So my brothers and I just blew it off and didn't think much of the claim until something strange happened. My dad disappeared. It was 1988 and I was 22 years old and a college student still living at home. I worked as a full-time disc jockey on the overnight shift, 10pm to 7am at a local radio station. My middle brother was 19 years old, lived in an apartment with a friend and worked at a nearby Dairy Queen. My youngest brother was 9 and also lived at home. One day my brother called my mom and me and asked us if we knew where my dad was. He said some men came to the Dairy Queen while he was at work and asked him if he had seen my dad recently. My brother truthfully told them that he hadn't seen or heard from my dad in months and that he often does that, cuts off contact for months at a time. My brother said these men didn't say who they were but seemed satisfied and left. My brother wondered if these men or anyone had called to talk to us and ask us where my dad was. The following day, my brother says the men returned to his work and this time flashed badges and claimed to be FBI agents. He says they were aggressive and demanded that my brother tell them where my dad was. My brother kept insisting, truthfully, that he didn't know where my dad was, that the last he heard he worked at a local hotel as a shuttle driver. But the experience upset him, and he called my mom and me again, upset. My mom called the hotel where my dad worked. The man she spoke to said my dad had disappeared weeks ago, and he had no idea where he went. The following day, my brother was at work when his roommate called and said that someone had apparently been in their apartment. The roommate claimed that when he got home from work, he found the sliding glass door open and the place ransacked, but nothing appeared to be missing. My brother, very upset, went to his apartment and found that, in fact, his address book was missing from the breakfast nook, and a teddy bear he recently bought for his son and a photo of his son were missing from his bedroom. Now, my brother and my mom and I were beside ourselves with anger, fear, paranoia. We went to the local FBI office to complain that the FBI had done this, and to tell them once and for all my brother does not know where my dad is. Well, as you might have guessed, the FBI claimed no knowledge of the event and claimed that they were not looking for my dad. They said none of their agents had contacted my brother. Furthermore, when my mother told them my dad had claimed that he worked for organized crime, the FBI would neither confirm nor deny that the hotel had ties to organized crime or that there was even an investigation going on. My mom called the hotel again and told the manager that men were looking for my dad, that they were terrorizing my brother, and flat out asked the guy if there was any truth to my dad's claim to be working for organized crime. The man laughed and told her there's no such thing as the mafia. While we were trying to make sense of all these weird details, we kept wondering why my brother was being harassed, but not my mother or me. That's when I was reminded of a weird event that happened to me about two or three weeks prior. Because I worked overnight, I was often awake in the middle of the night on my days off with nothing to do. One night, I went to the local cable TV company where my friend worked as a computer system operator to hang out with him for a few hours and BS a little. At about 3.30am, he had a big computer job to do, so it was time for me to go home, so I left. As soon as I pulled out from his company's driveway, a car was immediately behind me, tailgating me. I mean, he was on me so quickly it scared the crap out of me. The car seemed to just appear out of nowhere. He also had his high beams on and was blinding me, and I couldn't make out anything about the car behind me. I couldn't see inside to see how many people were in the car, what they looked like, or anything. I couldn't even see what kind of car it was. I changed lanes to let the tailgater pass, but he changed lanes with me. I moved again and again moved. He was tailgating me and blinding me, and now seemed to be following me. I stopped at the intersection and got in the left turning lane with my signal on. 
and he got behind me. Since there was no traffic at all around, when the light changed, I zoomed across the intersection, streaked across all the lanes of traffic into the far right lane and through the intersection, trying to lose them. He followed me. Now it was absolutely clear for sure he was following me. I cut into a nearby neighborhood and tried to lose them, but he kept following me anyway. I finally managed to zoom back out into the intersection and crossed over and went to the 7-Eleven at the corner and jumped out and ran inside and yelled to the clerk that someone was following me. As I did, I saw the car that was following me cut through the parking lot of the 7-Eleven and for the first time, I got a look at the car. It was a late model tan-colored four-door and there were two white guys in it. The clerk just blew me off and said I was exaggerating. That it was probably just kids messing with me and to let it go. I left, but I was still spooked by it and didn't want to go straight home. I was afraid they might follow me, and I didn't want them to know where I lived, so I went to my workplace. I knew that the disc jockey on the air that night would be my friend Paula, so I decided to go visit her on the air for a while and hang out and calm down. I told her what happened and hung out for about two hours, so she felt it was probably just some punks being jerks, and that calmed me down. But when I got home, now over two hours since this car harassed me, The damn car was at my house. As I was coming down the street to my apartments, about to turn right, I saw the damn car pull out of my apartments. And as it passed me, the SOBs flashed their high beams on and off at me. But now, remembering that event and putting it together with my brother's FBI visit and apartment break-in, it seemed obvious that it was all tied together. I hadn't thought about it before, but now I remembered. My car was actually my dad's car. He gave it to me about two months earlier when he got a new one. So if someone had been looking for my dad, they might have thought I was him. And when they saw me coming home, realized I'm not him and just left. But who was messing with us and why? Where was my dad? Why are these strange people harassing us? My mom, my brother and I, we went to the local police and filed a missing persons report and a complaint. We spoke to a very nice detective. About five days later, we got a call from the detective that he had solved the whole strange case. It turns out my dad disappeared because he owed his employers more than $50,000 in gambling debt. The detective confirmed that my dad did work for some unsavory characters, but said they weren't organized crime per se. He had no idea if my dad was shuttling fugitives or not. He said my dad was hiding out in Nevada, and then he had spoken to him, that he was alive and well, but hiding. We asked, then, who the hell were those men, and why were they bothering my brother? The detective explained that it was not uncommon for unsavory bounty hunters and debt collectors to impersonate law enforcement and call and harass people. My brother asked, how did they get into his apartment? The detective said a sliding glass door is easy-peasy to open, and they probably stole the address book, hoping it had my dad's contact information in it. They stole the teddy bear and pictures to use to scare my brother, which worked. I asked the detective why the men only harassed my brother and not my mom and me. The detective said because my dad had used my brother as a reference on his job application at the hotel and gave my brother's address and phone number, the FBI agents probably figured he was close to my dad and either maintained contact with him or, if threatened, would contact him. So my dad eventually turned back up in town and acted like nothing had ever happened. He never spoke about the incident we never brought it back up. I guess he's got the money he owed them. I don't know. But that's my story. Are you loving the show? 
Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. Up next is a listener voicemail from Lena, and she lets us know about her haunted dorm room. Hi, um, my name's Lena, and I just want to say I watch you guys. I listen to your guys' podcast all the time, and I absolutely love it. Um, anyways, this is basically a story about my haunted dorm room, which I still live in with my roommate. So. Yeah, okay, basically, as, like, you know, dorms work is that there's, like, multiple floors, and then each room is, like, stacked on top of the other, so that can kind of explain some noises, but basically what happens on, like, a day-to-day basis is things will fall from my roommate's desk, and, like, not even things that are supposed to fall, like, literally, like, a book will, like, fly off, um, like and also her little stuffed animals will fly off from like the top shelf and just like just, just fall down. This one time, what really scared me was um so I she had stayed at a friend's dorm for the day and I was just in my room. I was just in my room, just sleeping by myself. And it was like two thirty, maybe like three a.m. And I knew that she was supposed to be back. So for some reason, I wake up. I don't know why or what woke me up, but I look over and there's a there's a human form underneath her blanket and when, when like a person's underneath a, a blanket on a bed or something you can see their outline um when i look over for some reason and i see someone underneath her blanket and i call out i'm like tia tia knowing damn well she's not gonna respond but i just needed some sort of out explanation and so and obviously she doesn't respond and I'm, as I'm watching, the f- like this form under her bed, under her sheet, like shrinks and gets to kind of like a ball, kind of like shaped like a cat. And I, I, I just, I turned over and went back to sleep. I was scared as, as hell because I was like, no, no. And then, so I had a dream. I guess my mind was trying to explain it so that it wasn't as scary. I had a dream where basically my roommate had told me, Oh yeah, there's a spirit of the cat living in our room, on her side of the room, just as a way to visually explain it. And I guess I had also like texted my roommate right after that happened, and I was like, "Hey, are you back?" And she was, she wasn't. She she was like, "No," and I never responded that text. But yeah, so the next day I told her what happened. She was like, "Huh, that's really funny," because um, because I had been kind of recently like imagining what it would have been like if my cat from back home had been living in a dorm room and i was like all right that's weird um so yeah uh nothing weirdish as weird as that has happened since that day but it's kind of scary do you have your own terrifying encounter did something unexplained happen to you let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email my story at disturbedpodcast.com. And finally, we close out the show a little differently this week with a real terrifying 911 call. Listener discretion advised. 
Cedric Larry Ford was a painter working at Excel Industries in 2016. He had a relatively lengthy criminal record and had been served a restraining order by his ex-girlfriend. On February 25th, while under the influence of drugs and alcohol, Cedric went on a shooting spree. He stole a car and took it to Excel Industries, where he went inside and began shooting. Several 911 calls were placed. We got a shooter! Everybody's upset! Harvey K911. We have an active shooter at Excel Industries. We have multiple injuries. Okay. We we, we have we have that information. Do you know where he's at? Uh, he is in Plant Four right now. Plant Four. Yes. Okay. I got I got two I got people all over the place. I don't know. I can't account for anybody. Okay. What's your name? Harvey K911. Yeah, we've got an emergency up here at Excel. We have shots fired. Shots fired. Where at? In We're in the front office right now. They're out there somewhere on the floor shooting. Do you know how many? Where at? Just in Plant Four? Uh, plant One up here in Plant, plant One that plant we one. know of. That we know of. Up here by the front offices. How many people are hit? People are hit. How many people? Uh, three or more. Multiple people shot all over this freaking place. Okay. Okay. It's a black male. It's a black male. No weapon. He's in the office. We're all across the street. He's in the office? Well, there's one car on feed, the police car. There's another one. There's another one. Harvey County 911. Yes, I need a police and medical at XL car, or XL lawnmower. At XL? We have people that shot. We do have people on the way to XL. Where are you located? I'm in plant one. We got people down. Plant one. How many how many patients do you have? Four four people shot. Four shot. Do you hear any other shots being fired right now? Outside. The guy's outside shooting. Okay, can you secure the door so we cannot get back in? It's locked. It is locked. Is there any other entrances? Can you get those secured? But I got people shot and Yes, we have help on the way. Stay on the phone with me, okay. Your patients that are inside. Tell me about their got, tell me about I their got, injuries. Can we put some pressure on wounds? Where are they at? They're, they're, uh, we got one that's real we got two that's real bad. You need to get here. Okay. We got two in the shoulder, one in the thigh, and one I don't know. He okay. got shot in the head. We got one in the head. Okay. This is what I need you to do for me, okay? The ones that have gunshots to the shoulder. Can you get some pressure on those? They got pressure on shoulder, pressure on thigh. Great. I'm gonna go check on the other so one. The other one is everybody breathing. Can you tell me if the everybody one is that's breathing? Got in the head, I don't know. Can you check for me? Are you able to do He's that? Breathing. Just barely. He's barely breathing. Is he laying on his back? Yes, he is. Okay. Can you get to? Can you get to him? We're gonna get his airway open. Medic 1's en route. Medic 1104. It's going to be the area of Northwest 12th and Meridian. I have a report of somebody being shot. If you could just stand off for law enforcement for now. Cedric fired at the first officer to arrive. The officer fired back, killing Cedric. Inside, three people had been killed and another 14 injured. It was discovered that Cedric had an extremely high dosage of meth in his system, which likely made him delusional and more susceptible to his impulses.
Now we have an entire bonus series of these real 911 calls available over at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast for anyone in the $5 level or higher. You'll get instant access to over 20 bonus episodes as well as ad-free listening to Disturbed. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to see all the different submission options. And a big thanks to all of our newest supporters. Christopher Frazier, Morgan, Boisarek, Hillbilly Deluxe, Demolition Diva, Lisa Boyette, Ryan Laughlin, Julie Adams, Colby Ludwig, Abigail McIntyre, Anthony Garrett, and Michelle Vaughn. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs>